Yes. Amen to that message that we have finished waiting. And yet, as we're going to talk about this morning, not all of us feel like that. Um, Before we get into our scripture chat this morning, I just want to give a shout out to our Christmas at King season, Um, both in financial giving and in tangible item giving. We have been overwhelmed by your generosity, by your faithfulness. And so thank you for doing that. We have gone over and above our tangible items that we needed. So they have been dispersed amongst many partners and are still on our way financially. But thank you again for your generosity, your faithfulness, again, not to us, but to the kingdom and to our community. Um, also, involving a Christmas at King, our pencil cases that have been, been signed out the last couple of weeks, those are due back next Sunday morning. Um, and just to remind those of you that those are for our Wow Boacha initiative, where we're purchasing bicycles for volunteers to travel long distances. Um, it cuts their travel from, I think it's like seven or eight hours to about two. Um, And so it's an amazing initiative, again, one of the many, so you can check out those um, by the info desk. I will be there after service to sign out some of the other ones, but also they are due back next week as a reminder. Um, So again, as we adventure through our Character Adventures series, we're really, really honing in on the pun, if you can't tell this year. I'm going to say adventures as many times as I can fit. Um, We are journeying through these various individuals that are not necessarily new to us and tying them into these Advent themes of the ones that we light the candles for, love, joy, hope, and peace. And this morning, we are talking about hope. And I'm going to turn your attention, I don't know if it's because I'm pregnant and none of the other staff members are pregnant right now, but I got married. And again, she is not new to you, and I am also not as pregnant as she was in this story. Praise be to God in this moment. Um, But she is not a new character to you. I don't need to necessarily introduce her to you. Most people have an idea of who Mary is. And depending on your upbringing or what kind of, you know, denomination or part of the church you grew up in, you have maybe different perceptions of Mary. She can be this matriarch that we look to um, as a big figure. Um, She can be just a part of the story, a humble young woman. But I often am reminded of how the Bible describes her. And I don't think we often take a moment to think about her as a tangible person. Um, I don't know if you're like me, where sometimes when you hear these Bible stories, you just have these idea of the story you know, David and Goliath, people like that, where you just have an idea of maybe who they are. But I often don't necessarily take the time to imagine what they would be like as a person that I would maybe meet here on a Sunday. And so before we even get started, I want to paint this picture of Mary, the one that the Bible describes. At this moment, roughly, again, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you exactly, but she was between the ages of 15 and 16 years old when this story happens. And to put that in context, she would have been early on in high school. Okay, so this is not this well-developed woman who knows exactly where she is in the world. She is figuring it out. She is a Jewish woman, and she's unmarried even though she's engaged in this moment. And at that particular time in culture, she would have had basically no influence with the people around her. She wasn't well off. She definitely didn't have a social status that would have caused people to turn their attention to her. She was, again, a young, poor Jewish woman. 
And as we go through the story, I want you to picture her tangibly, not just as a character we're going to read about, but imagine if she was sitting next to you, this young teenage girl having no idea what's really going on in the world around her. Some of you are thinking, I'm in my 40s and I still don't really know. This young woman and who, uh, who has this type of encounter. And so before we read about Mary, um, would you stand with me if you're able as we read our passage to ponder that we've been carrying throughout this series. So John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then 14. So let's read it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you very much. You may be seated. And that is a scripture that, again, I think most of us know, that in the beginning was the word. And yet, when we really drill into that meaning, it is the idea that in the middle of barrenness, in the middle of darkness, in chaos, Jesus was there. That could be the scripture talk all on its own this morning. That in the beginning, before there was anything, before anything even really had order, Jesus was present. And as we celebrate and remember Advent, again, you've heard it already this morning, what Advent means. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And yet there's this implied meaning to Advent that we don't actually love or focus on, which means we have to wait for something. We have to wait for something to come, and we have to wait for something or someone to arrive. And in the case of waiting for the first advent, this very first coming of Jesus, they were waiting, as the video already said, for darkness to end. That there had been hundreds of years of waiting for this Messiah, this Savior, this King. Hundreds of, how many of you have waited hundreds of years for something? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Some of you think it feels like that that they were waiting hundreds of years. And so when we say Advent, it brings all of these things to mind, right? Christmas and the lights and all the beautiful things, the candles. But it was a process of waiting, waiting for something to come. And, you know, waiting mostly is not an experience that most of us enjoy. We wait in long lines at Costco, for example, if you're a Costco member. We wait for food to be prepared at a restaurant for our kids to maybe start behaving. We wait for our spouse to start listening for an upcoming vacation, to see our friends. We wait in traffic. We are generally waiting a lot, but it's not an experience that we normally love because we are normally in a hurry and want to get to where we need to be. Um, I will tell you, a couple weeks ago, I was driving my son to my in-laws. He goes there once a week to hang out. And I jumped on the 401, and of course I jumped on right where it was standstill traffic. Everybody's favorite experience. And I pulled on, and if you already know, I was in a hurry, and I was having one of those mornings where you just think, I don't. Waiting was not on my to-do list. I didn't wake up and think, do you know what I really want to do today? Wait in red traffic. 
that is what I want to accomplish before 10 a.m. And I turned on my navigation app. Has, is anyone here familiar with Waze? Just to be clear. So Waze recently um, integrated an app called Headspace, which is all about you know, therapeutic language and to be very calming and peaceful. So I pull on, you already know where this is going, which is why you're laughing. So I pull onto the highway, immediately see the red lights, and you can already tell what goes on in my mind of like, oh, this is not how I wanted this to go. So I turn on my app to see how long I'm going to sit in this lovely traffic that I'm experiencing. And I didn't realize that I had it set to this lovely therapeutic calming setting. And the lady comes on, again, I don't know her name, poor lady. She comes on and she says, the traffic that you are about to hit is about 15 minutes long. It takes me 15 minutes to get to where I was going. And why don't you take, I, let me just read it for a second, because I actually had to pause when it came on. And she said, the upcoming delay is about 15 minutes. Let's just take a second to think about the beauty of this time that you have to slow down. <laughs> right. She said, how can you be grateful for this moment? I would love to tell you that I immediately found Jesus, that I was peaceful, that I was calm, that I thought, this is what a beautiful moment that I can be grateful for. Ironically, Pastor Kristen did not do that. She shut the app off, threw her phone in the back seat, and permitted to, like, proceeded to sit there and think how much I didn't want to be in traffic right? Waiting can feel like that, maybe sometimes tangibly in traffic, but also in other kinds of situations. That it's not something we all like to do, and depending on what you're waiting for, it can change how long it feels, which I hope makes sense. That for kids, when you say Christmas is in 25 sleeps, they think that is years away, That is like light years. I will be 85 before it's Christmas. And then for those of us who are maybe not children and a little bit more mature, Christmas, or the whole year for that matter, can come like this. We will be at Christmas next year in the blink of an eye. We'll be at Easter even faster than that. And so it changes based on what you are waiting for. So I want you to go back to that teenage girl that I mentioned at the beginning. A teenage girl engaged to be married who that would finally give her some status. She thought, man, once I'm married, at least I'll have a little bit of status in the world around me. She's figuring out who she is, and yet in this moment, her entire life is about to change, this trajectory. That it would be not only for her this moment that would change, but it would be the culmination of what people had been waiting hundreds of years for. And so let's read a familiar passage starting in Luke 1, about halfway down in in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, um, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And we often think, you know, the next line is confused and disturbed. And we think, what do you mean? She's seeing an angel. Have you ever seen an angel come down out of nowhere? Maybe you have. But she is literally just going about her everyday life, and an angelic being appears and says, greetings. And she is confused and disturbed. Remember, she's also about 15 years old. 
Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. You know, why are you here? And he says, don't be afraid, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him throne of, the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary, having a good head on her shoulders, being 15 years old, she asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Like, I've done all the things. Or not, I guess. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Amen to that. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So she receives this incredible news, terrifying news, she has no concept of what this is going to be like. And what are her words? I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said come true. And I had never really considered the last sentence before that the angel doesn't say, okay, great, I'll be with you for the next nine, ten months to walk you through how this is going to go. The angel leaves her in that moment. And so this morning, as we adventure, you're going to get sick of that by the end of December, through Mary's story, it's important to understand that this waiting, as we've mentioned already, did not start with her, and it does not end with her either. And so we're going to look at three movements, and this is the first one. There was a long history of promises that led up to this very moment. That hundreds of years, like I said, before this story of Mary, there were prophecies of the Savior who would come, who would free the Israelite people and rule as their king in this world. That would come and change everything for them. They had been slaves. They had been in exile. They had been wandering around in deserts. And they were promised this ruler, this king, this Savior. And it was not just a random message from an angel to the closest person that he could find. It says all throughout scripture, and these will be on the screen for you, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It doesn't get much clearer than that. This was hundreds of years before this story of Mary, so she wasn't randomly chosen. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Again, a child is going to be born. This king is not going to come in a valiant way, but as a child. And the last one, Micah 5, 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, so again, in Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. So you're, out of the big ones, you're not listed. You're a small village. And yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. 
that all of these prophecies, all of these testimonies really, are pointing to this moment when Mary meets this angel. They knew what they were looking for. However, it wasn't going to come immediately. You can imagine that any time a baby was born in Bethlehem, they thought, this is it. This has to be it. And it wasn't. Another generation goes by. Oh, another boy was born in Bethlehem. I don't think they were happening once a year. You know, it was often. They think, this is it. That it was going to evolve. I think as time goes on, you know, your grandparents tell you, this is coming, this is what we're waiting for. Your great-grandparents. That they were eventually going to realize this was going to be a long season of waiting. But they had these promises. They had these words of Scripture, the scrolls at that time, that they would hold on to so diligently to keep going that one day, you can just hear them say it amongst themselves, one day he's coming. I don't know when. I don't know, you know, exactly how it's going to play out. Maybe it will be in my lifetime or not, but he's coming. The hope that is in that. And today, I don't know how you walked into this room, whether you're waiting for something tangible, unseen, big or small, you're waiting for something. For some of you, it might be a spouse, a child, a job, relief from your situation, a family member's salvation. You're waiting. And yet, let me tell you, as you would already know, waiting is hard. If we went you know, all through each person in this room, you would have a season of waiting that you could tell me about. But let me remind you of this this morning, that just as the Israelites had these prophecies that were clear, they knew what they were waiting for, they knew the signs to fall back on, that you have promises made to you as well. That the Bible is clear all throughout, and we could list them over, I could spend the rest of this talk talking about these promises. But God says to us over and over and over again, you are never forgotten, you are never forsaken, you're never abandoned, that he is always working, and that you are safe when you are in his hands. Amen to that. Those are the problems. We don't necessarily have these anymore of, you know, Kristen, on this day, you are going to wait for this to happen. I personally don't have one of those promises right now, but I do have all the ones I just listed. That I'm never forgotten, never forsaken, never abandoned, safe, and that he's always in control of what's going on. That you have access to this abundant peace, hope, love, joy, all the things we talked about through Advent, that you are not alone. That they waited, like I said, through generations and generations for this promise. Through good times, through bad times, I'm sure through seasons of doubt. They were not perfect people. And if I had to wait my entire lifetime for something, there'd be moments where I would question it. Through silence, and yet God was faithful. And so the bottom line of this first movement is that just as the Israelite people in their waiting had promises to lean on, you have the same today. That I hope that as you leave that that is an encouragement to you no matter what you are waiting for. The second movement is to live expectedly in the slow or unanswered moments. How many of you have ever felt like God didn't answer something? Those are hard moments. 
When you think, but God, I'm, I'm asking, I have a mustard seed level of faith, come on. And it feels, unex, you know, it feels like it's unanswered or going slow. And the hard truth is this morning, I really do think that that is intentional on the part of God. That it's part of God's goal to be able to work on your heart and life in the moments where it feels like he's not there. That you see, if we all got what we wanted or expected through life, we would never grow as people. If life went exactly how I wanted it all the time, I would never be challenged. I would never have to work on myself. I would never have to question, oh, like, did I say that right? God, like, what are you doing in my life? How, how does that play out? That it would never challenge us or cause us to pause and wait, and we would never have to look outside of ourselves for help. Because most of us wouldn't desire that for us anyway. And the principle is very present at Jesus' birth because it was such an unlikely way for a Savior to come. It was slow. Imagine a whole Marvel movie where the entire time there's no Savior until the last two minutes and the movie's over. Might be great. I don't know. But it would be one of the where you're thinking, come on, this movie is slow. Let's get it going. Where's the guy that's going to come in and make you better? And let me tell you right now, as a pregnant mom of a 16-month-old, the days are long. They are some of those, and again, there's the saying of like the days are long, the years are short. I'm living in the days are long portion, so let me know when the years part come. But the aches and pains of pregnancy are not always the most magical things either. And yet God sent, or, sorry, God could have sent Jesus down as a fully formed man in his glory, crowned and ready to go. Easily he could have done that. And yet he sent a baby that for the first while would need to at least rely on other people for food, safety, and shelter. And there's a song that rings through my heart, my mind, my playlist all throughout Advent every year. And this is the bridge. It's called Seasons. And it says in the bridge, you can see my promise even in the winter because you're the God of greatness even in a manger. For all that I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. It is not, as that verse says, it is not outside of God to have saved everything in a moment, to have come through and reconciled everything. That is not outside of God. And yet he didn't do that. He chose the slow path, and while I may not understand every detail of why that decision was made, I know that one of them is to teach us about patience and waiting. Hence why we have seasons, where things change, why plants don't just produce harvest immediately, why pregnancy is nine, ten months long, that he is more concerned with working on us in the waiting. And so as Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, we can rejoice too that when we run into problems or trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That the final goal is not the destination itself. I'm sorry to tell you. It's what kind of person you are at the end of it. 
That's what God is concerned about, is how were you in the waiting versus once you got what you were waiting for. Both matter, but I think God is really concerned with, man, while you are right in the crux of it, where you feel like it is dark or you don't know what I'm doing, I'm working on you. And so while you're in this season of waiting, it might be slow. It might feel like you have been waiting on something for a long time and it's going unanswered, but he is working. That as that psalm says, he can see the promise even in the winter, even when it feels barren and like there is no hope. And so the bottom line, as we venture into our third one, is that waiting is very difficult and long at times, but you're not alone. And he is always working. Always. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. It can be difficult. But that's one of the promises that he gives us. And the last movement for this morning, which kind of ties together, is that there is hope in the waiting. As we've been talking about, our, our theme this morning is hope. That the remedy to waiting is hope. In the middle of our waiting, we can think, oh, but I know what's coming. I know what I'm waiting for. I hope, you know, for kids, it's I hope that's under the tree. There is a hopefulness. And so the four themes of Advent that we talked about are not just there because they're short words. They're not just there because they're beautiful ones that we can write on cards. And they're not just there because we love watching Pastor Dave light a candle every Sunday. Those are not why we have these words. The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus bring us love, joy, peace, and hope. And those four in particular counteract the world that we live in right now. That they are remedies to the broken state that we live in. How many of you think the world needs more love, more peace, more joy, more hope? They're intentional. And it is no mistake that Isaiah preemptively calls Jesus Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Because in the midst of waiting for our things— And for some of you in this room, it feels hopeless or dire. He doesn't leave us on our own, and he waits with us. That God waits with us, that's an important part of the good news. That Advent is not only about him coming, but the journey throughout. The waiting for his second coming. That he says, you're living right in between these two Advents right now, but you're not doing it by yourself. That Advent shows us the patience of God. Again, I, I can't emphasize it enough that if you were God and you, the whole world needed to be saved, would you choose a baby? Probably not. I wouldn't. It'd probably look more like a Marvel movie in my mind. But he chose the slowest possible way, almost half a year, for anything to happen in this moment. And yet, as we close this morning, like Mary, to have faith in the waiting— is to recognize that our time of waiting is a time of pregnancy, if we're going to use that imagery. To recognize that this laborious waiting is the coming of God, that he is in the midst of it. That just like right now, I wait for this baby, you are also in a season of waiting, but I am learning about, you know, what does it mean to be a mom? And you're preparing and you think of all these things. That it's the same for us. That what can I be preparing for in this season of waiting? What can I be leaning into? God, what are you doing? What are you working on me for? Maybe I need to work on my patience. That he is in the midst of it.
And you know, we live in a time of the year right now when we experience shorter days, longer nights. It's dark outside a lot. Some of you probably leave for work in the morning in the dark and come home in the dark. Not a very fun way to experience the day. And yet, as we read earlier in the passage to ponder in John, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That even when we're actually physically in a season of darkness, it's never dark, because we have hope. We know, tangibly, we know the calendar year will change, and eventually we will see the sun again. But also, in a figurative way, we experience the same thing to say that one day the winter will be over. And not only will I see the physical sun again, but I will see the sun. And so the bottom line as we close for this one this morning is you may feel in your season of waiting like things are dark and destitute, but you have a light with and within you that cannot be overcome, that always prevails and always provides hope. And so this morning, I I hope and I pray that as you leave, as you continue to wrestle through the things that you're waiting on, it's not a magical solution to think, great, now I have hope. I'll never doubt again or never feel the pains of it again. But I hope that as you leave, that that is an encouraging message to you, to know that you are never alone in it, that you have a light within you that always prevails. And so this morning, as I wrap and pray... Whatever that is on your heart that you've been waiting for, and I'm sure some of you came to the altar even this morning just saying, man, I don't feel like God's been answering that. I just pray that those scriptures that we read, that these principles, that you have promises to also lean on, would wash over your heart and provide you with that peace and hope. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning, thanking you for who you are. For a faithful God who in the midst of all of history has been patient with us. That you have been faithful to answer every single promise that you have given us over literally all of history. And for Mary, it came in a very tangible way to the promises that you had said. But God, for us, it can feel different. But God, I just pray for those in this room that as we go through the Advent season and we wait not only for Christmas to come and for your birth that we celebrate, but for whatever is on our hearts for ourselves, our family members, our friends. Lord, that you would provide us with that hope, that you would remind us of your promises, that we never wait by ourselves, that you are never, you you never forget. It's never far from your mind. But God, I also pray that in those moments, as challenging as they may be, would you work on us? Would you give us a keen awareness of what you want to do? Maybe it's more joy or patience. God, maybe for some of us, we need a little bit more hope. I just pray that whatever we need this morning individually, that you would show up in that way. God, we hand over to you all the things we're waiting for, knowing that no matter how long it takes, you're still doing it. It might not be answered the exact same way that we want it to, but yet we trust you. And for those of us who are struggling with trust this morning, help our faith to rise. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, the hope that this season brings, the hope that that message to Mary brought to her and to the rest of the world. We wait expectingly for your second coming, knowing that when that happens, man, everything is going to change. 
what a day to look forward to. And so, Lord, we just humbly again come to you this morning, worshiping you, saying how much we love you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.